All right, hello, welcome back to Unqualified Analysis. I have got a coffee in my hand, a black bear with sunglasses on my shirt, and I am ready to talk about some football here. Back to one episode a week. We made it all the way through the season. I am getting football withdrawals as we speak, even though there is still one more game left. Just holding on, holding out hope. Not even going to acknowledge uh, the Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl games, anything that are involved there. I maintain that it should just be um, a list that goes out and a paid vacation for everyone that's on the list. Uh, go to go to Hawaii again. Uh, go go out there, do a meet and greet with some fans, and then otherwise uh, just have these players uh, go to the paradise they earned. So we're not even really going to talk about that because it's not even real football. However, we do have some real football to talk about here, folks, as we had ourselves a dandy of a championship weekend here. Uh, got two games for you. Then we're going to get into some headlines, mostly on the NFL side as uh, the these head coaching um, vacancies are filling up here very, very quickly. We are down to two left as I speak here on Monday night. Could change by the time this is all said and done because we've got a couple uh, big-time head coaching candidates that just uh, got out of the playoffs and should be looking, uh, well, definitely, I think they're in, both interviewing at uh, each location there. We'll get to all that here in, in just a minute, though. First and foremost, let's talk about the football. And you know what? The biggest story came first. So we're just going to go in chronological order here. Let me just take a, a quick gulp skadoodle of this uh, this coffee here. A little caffeine, I need you now. All right, let's keep her going. All right, so Chiefs win against the Ravens 17-10. to This kind of is the way that I expected this game to go. Very low scoring, uh, very much defense dominant. Uh, the difference was one team had Patrick Mahomes, uh, the other one did not. And I love me some Lamar Jackson, man. Make no mistake about it. Absolutely love it, but at the end of the day, 272 passing yards isn't bad. One touchdown. That one interception, though. That one interception. Oh, boy, did it come at a bad time. I mean, late in the game, you're down two scores. You're in the red zone. You need points no matter what. You simply cannot turn the ball over. And Lamar Jackson forces it into triple coverage, pretty much. Uh, interception in the end zone. Uh, trying to get it to Isaiah Likely. Gets it into a defensive back's hands instead. Also had a lost fumble. Also can't, I mean, Zay Flowers down at the goal line. Tried to reach out the ball. Legereus Sneed decisioned it right out of his hand. Uh, that one ended up being a fumble recovery as well for the Chiefs. Uh, again, that's two different red zone turnovers. One goal line turnover and another turnover that I think directly set up the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, deep in uh, Baltimore territory. Um, I do believe that that's the one possession where Kansas City went for on fourth down and Baltimore stopped them, though. So no harm, no foul on that one. But two critical red zone turnovers by the Ravens that ultimately ended up being the difference when you look at the scoreboard. Um, more than anything, and we'll get to the Kansas City Chiefs here in a second. Don't you worry. We'll talk about Jordan. We'll talk about more people hopping on the train that I've been on for, I don't know, 
uh, at least a year and some change now, but we'll talk about that in just a second. All in good time, folks. First and foremost, let's talk about the team that's heading on out the door uh, as we speak out of the playoffs. This was a befuddling game from the Ravens, uh, to say the least. Not just because they go from scoring however many points a game, uh, probably close to 30 points a game, number one offense in the entire league, number one point differential, statistically maybe the greatest team, greatest regular season team of all time, especially when you take into account what they did against like winning teams and playoff teams. The Baltimore Ravens were a dominant, dominant football team uh, this year in the regular season. It wasn't just that they only scored 10 points in this game, which I think you got to give a whole lot of credit to that Chiefs defense. I said it before. I said it basically right from the outset of the season. I wasn't the only person to say it, but it's worth saying here again, this is by far the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has ever had, and that's a credit to Chris Jones. It's a credit to Legereus Sneed. It's a huge credit to Steve Spagnuolo, who is one of the better defensive coordinators, uh, quietly one of the better defensive coordinators in NFL history, uh, probably at this point, which is good for the Chiefs, probably never going to get that head coaching opportunity again. He had that one opportunity with the uh, with the, the then St. Louis Rams. Didn't quite work out. Uh, never really picked up. Never really had a, a good opportunity there. Now he's just at a point in his career, a lot like Todd Munkin for the Ravens, where, I mean, yeah, really good at what he does. Same thing with Wink Martindale. Really good at what they do. Uh, but ultimately, just kind of aged past their window to get a head coaching opportunity. Same thing with Lou Anarumo, unfortunately. And I think it's it's unfortunate for him because I think he really wants to be a head coach one day. But yeah, Steve Spagnuolo gets a lot of credit here. But the most befuddling thing for the Ravens in this game to me was the fact that you are the best running team in the entire league for my money. When you got a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, you got to be fantastic at running the ball. They had just eight runs that were designed for running backs in this game. Eight runs total in the entire game. They got down early, and they just forgot what they were all about throughout the entire season. The Ravens, for as good as the passing offense is, for as great as Lamar Jackson has been all year, he's going to be the MVP when it's all said and done because they already finished up voting before the playoffs on that award. So um, he's going to get that award and make no mistake about it. I mean, I'm not breaking any news here. That's just kind of what this is eventually going to be. All that being said, what makes Lamar Jackson so potent and what makes the team so great is the fact that you can run a run game through him and still have guys like Gus Edwards and Justice Hill that you can trust to go out there and get some hard yards when you need them to. It just felt like after the, the first possession where it wasn't really getting done for him. Uh, they couldn't get anything on the ground. Todd Munkin was just like, fuck this, we're going for passes every single time down there. And no other way to describe it, Todd Munkin just kind of pissed down his leg in this game. There's, I mean, no no other way to really uh, frame it other than that. I mean, it was just, it was a bad, bad showing uh, from that offense. And I've had nothing but glowing things to say about Todd Munkin's offense all year. I think it is abs- he is absolutely the guy that should be there for the next, I don't know, four or five years. As long as they'll have him in Baltimore, I think he should be the offensive coordinator. I think this is a learning moment for all involved, man. I think at a, at a certain point, um, especially if you're John Harbaugh and you're seeing how the game is going, you're seeing pass after pass after pass, which ultimately, credit to the Chiefs secondary, they were shutting it down uh, basically all game with the exception of Lamar Jackson uh, having a pass batted up in the air, him catching it, and then going 13 yards, which is one of the most incredible plays 
I've ever seen, quite frankly, uh, with the exception of one we're going to talk about here in the second game. Um, but really, it was just, it wasn't exactly like guys were getting open down the field. Zay Flowers had one really great catch down the field, uh, messed it up a little bit with a taunting call, but it is what it is. He had 115 yards in the game. He's going to be a stud for a long time with Baltimore, and uh, that's, a, that's a franchise that extends their guys, too. doesn't let a whole lot of guys walk in free agency uh, for the most part. You know, Matthew, Matthew Judon notwithstanding, um, I, he'll probably be with that team for a long, long time, if I had to guess. Um Outside of Zay Flowers, though, no one was really getting anything done down the field. It was just the brilliance of Lamar Jackson that ended up uh, carrying the day. I think even the long touchdown from Zay Flowers, it was Lamar Jackson having a Houdini act. I mean, from when I was watching the game on my phone at work like a good employee, I saw the guy in the grasp. I saw Drew Tranquil had Lamar Jackson in the grasp. I thought, okay, this is going to be a sack. Next thing you know, whoop, Lamar Jackson is out of there. He rolls out of the pocket. Rolls right, buys some time. Zay Flowers is the scramble drill to perfection. Cuts deep, gets behind his defender. Lamar Jackson hits him for a long touchdown. I thought from that point we were going to have ourselves a QB duel on our hands. Didn't quite work out that way with the way the defenses were playing. But that's kind of what the big chunks of offense were coming from uh, for the Ravens in this one. They didn't really have a whole lot going as far as receivers getting open or anything like that. And... Part of that is just, okay, Zay Flowers, a rookie, is your number one receiver. They still probably are an addition or two away from having a legit elite receiving core, much better than they have really ever been with Lamar Jackson at quarterback, but still not quite at that elite level. But a lot of that has to do with Todd Munkin just dropping back play after play after play, being predictable as all hell, uh, especially when you get into the second half. He was passing nonstop. They were only down 10 points uh, coming out of halftime and going into the fourth quarter. You'd think that they were down 20 with the way that he was calling the game, though. I mean, they just absolutely forgot that running the ball was an option. And that's, I think, a large part why you saw this game get away from them down the stretch. And um, I think this is a learning moment. I think, obviously, Todd Munkin needs to understand that um, sometimes you just got to go with your bread and butter. Don't get away from the run. I think the Lions can learn a bit, a little bit about that too. Uh, ben Johnson was showing some things really th all throughout this postseason that we're going to get to here in, in just a bit that got a little bit of a propensity to get, a, get away from your bread and butter at times, that being the run game. Um, but, I mean, looking at John Harbaugh, though, Obviously, great coach, longest tenure coach in the National Football League at this point now that Bill Belichick is no longer with the Patriots, won a Super Bowl with the Ravens, all that sort of stuff. Great coach, great culture builder, really, really elite hirer of coordinators. There comes a point when you're looking at this team drop back down after down after down, when you got to get on the horn to Todd Munkin and say, hey, man, we got to get some runs on some of these possessions. We can't just keep dropping back play after play after play because guys like Chris Jones, George Karloftis, uh, all the guys, I mean, Charles Amenahu, unfortunately, RIP his ACL. He, is, he tore that. He will not be in there uh, for the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. Um, but they were just teeing off on Lamar Jackson there in the second half because they knew that, Munkin was going to call a pass every single time down there pretty much. And Lamar Jackson, God bless his heart, he tried his damn best throughout the course of this game. He was getting no help from really anyone around him short of Zay Flowers and the offensive coordinators included in that. I think, yeah, if you're John Harbaugh, you have to see all that going on. And at some point, you got to get on the horn with Todd Munkin and be like, we need to make running an emphasis. Because, again, it's not like they were down 20 points in this game. They were down 
10 for the majority of this game. Uh, in the third quarter, it was scoreless. At any point, they could have made the running game more of an emphasis. Um, they just never did it. They never did it at all. I mean, they, they ended up averaging 5.1 yards per carry on 16 carries in this game, and they really never went to it. And unless Lamar Jackson was scrambling around, they never made a concerted effort to, to get back to the running game uh, in this one. So uh, I think a lot of this is, I mean, I'd say 0.000% of this loss goes on Mike McDonald in that defense, especially in the second half. They played out of their minds. I mean, they got diced up in the first two possessions. Make no mistake about it. I mean, Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes were in their bag in that first quarter. Patrick Mahomes didn't throw an incompletion. But once they settled into the game in that, you know, after the second quarter, I mean, 17 points in the first half, it is what it is. In the second half, uh, they didn't allow KC to score a single point. They allowed less than 100 yards of offense. You could say part of that is, you know, Kansas City going into conservation mode, knowing that their defense is dominating uh, the Baltimore offense. But at the same time, Mike McDonald and the boys got it together in the second half, and you simply can't say that about the Baltimore offense. I am fully aware that the uh, discourse around Lamar Jackson is going to be toxic as all hell, probably toxic as all hell as I'm speaking into the microphone right now. I think it's going to be overblown a little bit. I think the uh, the cast around Lamar Jackson let him down to a certain extent. And I'm not letting Lamar Jackson off the hook. It's not all on him, but at the same time, there comes a point where you just got to say, on my back, boys, we're going to go get this win, whether anyone's helping me or not. I think that could have been affected either. I mean, you saw him try to affect it with his arm. That's I love Lamar Jackson. I think he's a great QB. I think he can be very accurate at times. But we saw throughout this game he was inconsistent with the accuracy at times on short passes, intermediate passes, all the way to the deep passes. What makes Lamar Jackson special is he has wide receiver speed and quickness uh, with a quarterback arm, quarterback capabilities up in the mentals, uh, with the arm, with the accuracy at times. And he needed to use those legs in the second half, man. There's no, no question about it. Uh, Lamar Jackson at some point had to take it into his own hands to create a running game himself if Todd Munkin wasn't going to do it for him, and he never did. That that falls on Lamar Jackson. That being said, the cast around him didn't do him a whole lot of favors, so now we're here. The Ravens have lost. Uh, Mike McDonald almost certainly on the way out the door. I would imagine, I think the Seahawks have shown a great deal of interest. I, I think for now, the Seahawks look like it might be Dan Quinn, could also be... Um, Mike McDonald doesn't look like Mike Vrabel is going to end up getting a, uh, a head coaching opportunity here, which is kind of shocking to me. That being said, boy, I hope it doesn't happen for the sake of me being a Vikings fan, but there is an open defensive coordinator position on a really talented defense up there in Green Bay that I would not be shocked at all. Also, by the way, uh, a former head coach um, in Tennessee, his offensive coordinator at one point, Matt LaFleur, is currently the head coach uh, at, Green, at Green Bay. Would make a ton of sense if Mike Vrabel does not get a head coaching job for him to just come in there and uh, turn that defense into a top 10 unit, which I have no doubt that he would do right off the bat. They are talented as all hell. They got players in the secondary. They got players in the front seven. Uh, what is not to like over there in Green Bay uh, if you're Mike Vrabel? Again, as a, as, a, as a Minnesota Vikings fan, I do not want that to happen. That being said, as an objective analyst, that would be a slam dunk hire if they can get it done. That being said, though, 
Doesn't look like Mike Vrabel's going to get a head coaching job. Uh, Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator, I think scheduled to meet with the Seattle Seahawks either today or tomorrow. Uh, that being either uh, yesterday or today as you're hearing this on Tuesday. So I expect Mike McDonald to get one of the two head coaching jobs left, that being Seattle or Washington. Washington looks like they're kind of set on Ben Johnson, which if you're Ben Johnson, that's a good spot to head into. You're going to get a quarterback at the top of the draft. You have all the cap space in the world, uh, clean slate. You're not going to be very good next year, but you have the opportunity to build something up from scratch, uh, build something in your image. And um, yeah, if I if I were uh, either one of those guys, I mean, these are two not, not, not bad uh, options to go into. I mean, either way, you got weapons to work with if you're, you're on the, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, you got a, a whole clean slate to work with if you go over uh, to, the, to the Commanders. Interested to see where either of those guys land, but enough about the Baltimore Ravens. It is what it is. They let it slip through their fingers. The Kansas City Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, man, six... AFC Championships in six years. This will be the fourth Super Bowl appearance, I believe. Um, you know, the, the lost the the one Super Bowl appearance versus the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Um, people are going to hold that against Patrick Mahomes because um, he had zero offensive line and the, the you know going up against one of the better front sevens in the entire league in Tampa Bay and still. Almost won them that game because he is that incredible. Well, didn't almost. Well, they they got blown out pretty much, but could have won them that game by the the sheer brilliance uh, that he is a quarterback. Outside of that, uh, won the last two appearances. This will be the fourth appearance. Um, what more is there to say? They are the modern dynasty of the National Football League. Uh, Travis Kelsey became the all-time leading uh, receptions guy in the uh, postseason. In this game, he got 11 receptions. Uh, to pass Jerry Rice for the postseason record. Incredible. Not sure how much longer Travis Kelsey has left. Probably another year or two before he rides off into the sunset uh, with, with his, his beautiful girlfriend who is much, much richer than he is. Boy, that's going to that's gonna be the retirement of all retirements. He basically is just saying, uh, sayonara, see you later. I'm going to go travel the world with my super hot girlfriend or fiance, wife, whatever they happen to be at that point. And uh, she, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, uh, uh, she's gonna be my sugar mama. That, that's basically what he's gonna do. We're gonna live uh, the highest life of all high lives. We're just gonna be rich as hell. We're gonna be traveling around to paradise after paradise on a private jet uh, every single week. What's not to love if you're Travis Kelsey? Life is maybe better for Travis Kelsey than anyone else in the entire world. Uh, I don't really care about the whole Taylor Swift thing. I think if you care about Taylor Swift being on TV. Which, by the way, until after the game, they really didn't show Taylor Swift on TV hardly at all. I think they showed her like once on the actual CBS broadcast. And then, you know, she was obviously part of the celebration there at the end, you know, embracing Travis Kelsey, all that. Uh, there was the picture of Andy Reid finding Taylor Swift in the crowd and pointing at her. They're pointing at each other basically like, was I you? Were you me? Uh, shout out to whoever gets that movie references. It's going to be basically none of you, but uh, it's one of one of my favorite references in the entire world. I digress on that front. If you care about Taylor Swift uh, being on the TV too much, I think you need to take a long look in the mirror and ask yourself, do you like women? <laughs> and I'm not talking about it in a sexual way. I'm just talking about... Do you appreciate women at all? <laughs> um, or are you just like, 
I like to see big dudes hit each other. And no damn woman is going to ruin that for me by seeing her on my TV. Because I don't, I don't understand. Um, I, I don't understand the, the pushback here. Uh, um, you, you see players' wives or girlfriends get shown on TV on a fairly frequent basis. Um, I, I don't understand why this one's any different. Uh, unless you just you just really just hate to see a successful woman. I don't want to go super live on it. You know this. Not, not get into politics or anything like that, but I I truly don't understand why people care so much because it really, when you look at the grand scheme of things, it really has played next to no bearing on any coverage or anything like that uh, of how the the Chiefs have been looked at all year outside of just like the minutia that doesn't really matter. I mean, there's like a reference here or there. It's always tongue-in-cheek. No one really cares outside of the people that care a little bit too much. Uh, so, yeah, if you if you hate that, that Taylor Swift is going to be at the Super Bowl, um, suck it up. That's all I can really say. Uh, I know the NFL certainly loves it because I'm calling it now. This might be the highest-rated Super Bowl of all time. I mean ever. Uh, just based on the influx of Taylor Swift fans. If they were fans and they weren't watching up until now, the fact that Taylor Swift's boyfriend is going to be in the Super Bowl, possibly winning a championship, and the possibility of the beautiful moments that may happen after the championship, uh, that should entice more people to come by all on their own if they're Taylor Swift fans. Um, I think this is going to be, and not not to mention, you got the 49ers on the other side, which are a big TV draw as well. I think there is a good chance that this is uh, the highest rated Super Bowl of all time. Don't really care. I don't work for the NFL, but it's worth noting that the NFL certainly does not mind uh, that Taylor Swift is going to be there at the Super Bowl. As far as the Chiefs themselves, because I've already talked way too much about stuff that does not matter about football. I'm part of the problem. Hey, I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> I know Taylor Swift. You know Taylor Swift. That's right. I'm 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 learning these sorts of things. Uh, the the football itself, though, um, it really wasn't the Kansas City offense that won this game. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was incredible. He made plays when it mattered. Uh, hit Marquez Valdez Scantling uh, in a game in a a play that essentially iced this game up. Uh, put it in in the dirt essentially uh, at the end of this thing. The first half, I mean, Patrick Mahomes and, and Travis Kelsey shine. I think, I think Travis Kelsey had like seven or eight receptions in the first half alone. They were playing out of their mind, scored all the points they needed in the first half. The story of this game was one: Legarius Sneed being one of the best corners in the entire league. He does not get nearly enough credit for just how dominant he is. Um, obviously, Zay Flowers got loose on a, on a couple of them. Um, ended up with 115 yards. It is what it is there, but made plays when it counted. Forced that fumble at the goal line uh, that Zay Flowers had. Um, forced, I mean, key interceptions. I mean, really just the secondary in general. Deion Bush, I believe it was Deion Bush anyways. Yeah, Deion Bush having that interception, that key interception in the end zone. Um, again, Steve Spagnolo with how good he is at calling the defense, he absolutely dominated this Ravens offense that was just killing people all damn year. Um, Chris Jones being a stud, one of the two best defensive tackles in the entire league. He is incredible. George Karloft is playing out of his mind. Charles Amenahu playing well. Again, RIP to his ACLs, but playing really, really great. I mean, even without Willie Gay in there at linebacker, out with a neck injury, Nick Bolton played out of his mind. 
Uh, Drew Tranquil played out of his mind as well. Low cost signing this offseason that is really paying dividends down the stretch for him. I mean, you saw guys step up all across that defense um, in ways that the Baltimore Ravens have not seen all year, essentially. Um, and really, Patrick Mahomes is a big reason why they're here. He is the greatest quarterback that I've ever seen. And for my money, the greatest quarterback of all time already. You'll hop on that train eventually. Just give it time. Um, what it ended up being, though, was this defense won this game for Kansas City. Make no, make no two ways about it. They are the reason that the Kansas City Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. And they may ultimately be the reason uh, why they go in and win the Super Bowl. Let's talk a little bit about Patrick Mahomes, though, man. He is already, to my mind, even for like the um, just the run-of-the-mill fan, it is Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and everyone else. He's already past Peyton. I mean, love Peyton. Peyton never did in the postseason what Patrick Mahomes has done in the postseason at this point. Um, past Montana, even with those Super Bowls, I think we can all recognize that Patrick Mahomes is, is better than Montana, unless you're just a real 49ers homer, you're an old school guy, which I get it. I get it. I understand. Patrick Mahomes is already in uh, a class with one other guy. And as far as play goes, he's more mobile. He has a better arm, um, does Basically, everything else throwing-wise that Tom Brady did throughout the course of his career, mentals, throwing, all that sort of stuff, Patrick Mahomes has got it in addition to being a better athlete. To me, a better quarterback uh, as far as you know the, the game is played. You use your eyes and watch um, equally as clutch, all that sort of stuff. Again, does everything Tom Brady does just as a better athlete? Uh, no question about it in my mind. The only thing he is chasing now is the resume. And if the Chiefs were to become the first back-to-back -back, uh, Super Bowl champions since that uh, that initial run with Tom Brady and the Patriots back in 03-04, I believe it was. It's just another notch, just another step closer. That would be three Super Bowls. I mean, you're far short of Tom Brady's seven, which might be the one obstacle that, the, that Patrick Mahomes may never eclipse just because it's hard to win a Super Bowl, especially in how loaded the AFC is. But everything else, I'm talking uh, the yardage records, the touchdown records, um, everything. I mean, the games in, in the playoffs, all-time playoff wins, everything. Patrick Mahomes is coming for every single one of those records. Already in, I believe it's six seasons as a starter at this point, six AFC Championship games. Um, Tom Brady went to the AFC Championship game in, I believe, half of his seasons in the NFL, which is still uh, mind-boggling to, to think of. I think it's half. It might be even even more than half, but that's the only guy that, that Patrick Mahomes is chasing right now. And in my mind, in my mind, he's already better than Tom Brady. It's just, you know, in order to sway over the people that are very much staunchly in the Tom Brady category, he's going to have to put up those numbers. I think over the next decade, he's going to do just that. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I have I have zero, absolutely zero clue who I'm going to pick in this Super Bowl, but I am really looking forward to it. And uh, I think we got ourselves a good matchup. And by the way, it's the one early prediction I had from back in, in May whenever I did the, the recklessly early predictions that I actually got right. The Super Bowl matchup, boom, got it right on the head. I got about half the divisions right, and um, all of the awards were laughably wrong at this point. 
But boy, oh boy, did I nail it on that Super Bowl matchup. So, without further ado, we've already spent, what, probably you know, close to 30 minutes on this game. Let's go spend a little bit more time on the second game of the day, the West Coast game, that being the Detroit Lions at the San Francisco 49ers. Let me down the rest of this coffee real quick. Mmm, it's cold. Uh, room temperature, either way. Good enough for me, boys and girls. Good enough for me. The Detroit Lions. Oh, man. <laughs> the Detroit Lions, man. They had a 24-7 lead at halftime. And I'll tell you what. They coughed every last bit of it up in the third quarter, man. The Detroit Lions go on the road to San Francisco. They had them. They had them, and I know how it feels, man. I mean, keep in mind, I believe the uh, I believe the Vikings were up uh, twenty-eight to seven on the eventual Super Bowl champion Saints uh, back in that NFC Championship game. They just got snatched right out from under us. Lions were up twenty-four-seven, and they coughed it. Right up in the second half, the, the 49ers go on a 27-7 run, 17 to nothing in the third quarter to take this win and send the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy was inconsistent at times, threw an interception in this game, but when they needed him and the play broke down, he was running, he was doing everything he could to get this win, and it seems like Game after game, whether he's having a good game or not, when you need him to, he will come alive in the clutch. When you need to drive and you need a score, he will get you that score every single time out there. He did it again in this one in the fourth quarter. Gets the touchdown when they needed to go ahead. Um, gets another field goal to put the game away, essentially. Put them up 10 late. And um, I think a lot of the controversy from this game is going to come from, uh, well, I you know, Following the sports talk here on this this beautiful Monday, overreaction Monday that was, um, a lot of the talk was centered around just, um, you know, Dan Campbell living by the sword, dying by the sword, uh, going for fourth down late when it was virtually a chip shot field goal. Could have tied the game uh, late in, um, you know, I believe it was, I can't, I can't remember, I think it was in the third quarter. Third quarter or fourth quarter? I think it was actually the fourth quarter when it ended up happening. They had a chance to tie it up at um, 24-all, I believe it was at the time, and uh, instead go for it on fourth and three. They don't go it. San, they don't get it. San Francisco drives right down the field, uh, puts them up uh, 10 points at that point with a, with a touchdown late. That was the iconic Brock Purdy uh, drive late in the game that got them um, in, I mean, basically in the Super Bowl, essentially, up up two scores, like three minutes to go. That's the game right there, as Tony Romo said, which we'll talk about that in, in, in just a second as well. We got some, I got I got a take about the uh, the broadcasters here that I think many people will be on my side, uh, but we'll, we'll get to that here when it's done. Will I actually do it or will I forget about it? You'll just have to wait and see on that one, but um, I'm okay with this. Um, I understand why there would be criticism you know you take the field goal uh you, you tie the game who knows what happens maybe they tie it and send it to overtime uh here with that uh if they, they end up taking that uh that field goal uh we'll never know pretty much but this is what dan campbell's done all year deep in enemy territory if they have a reasonable chance to go for it uh, fourth and three fourth and two sort of situation 
He's just going to trust his offense to go out there and take it. And a lot of times that's worked out for him. There's a reason they've been 12-5 and five this year. Uh, this time around, it didn't end up working out that way. And you know what? Again, that's why I say you live by the sword, you die by the sword, you do what got you there essentially. And um, yeah, I, I have no... Uh, I have no qualms with that, quite frankly. I mean, I don't necessarily even have qualms with them taking the field goal in the first half. That it was a little bit inconsistent uh, with the philosophy there, but I don't know. I I don't really have a problem uh, with Dan Campbell going for it there late. Um, it's hey, that's how they played all year. It's consistency, so I get it. I understand that. My my real problem here uh, is with uh, Ben Johnson in the second half. They ran it right down the 49ers' throats in the first half. David Montgomery went out of his mind in the first half running the football. And it, on the whole, it looks good. 182 yards in the ground, 6.3 yards per carry, uh, three touchdowns. Part of that is a little bit inflated by uh, Jamison Williams taking that end around in the first possession, 42 yards to the house. But even take out of that, I mean, it's, you know, one... 140 on 28 carries, still highly efficient on the ground when it's all said and done. Um, but in the second half, Ben Johnson just got the Todd Munkins, man. He just forgot that he could run the football uh, when it was all said and done. He, I mean, scoreless in the third quarter. They just absolutely pissed down their leg. Don't run the ball when it's been working for them all game pretty much. Um, I think part of that was Jameer Gibbs fumbling the football deep in their own territory, and that might have scared him away uh, from running the ball a little bit more. But they should have been much more concerted in the second half with running the football. They put the game in Jared Goff's hands, which he didn't lose the game, to his credit. Got him down the field um, on a nice drive there late. And, hey, if they don't have to spend that one time out and force him into taking an onside kick there, who knows what happens. I, maybe they stop the San Francisco 49ers and force him to punt. And, uh, you know, one minute or so left, like 50-some seconds left. Who knows? Maybe the Detroit Lions get down there in field goal range, kick a field goal, send it to overtime. We, we'll, we'll never know at this point. But, I mean, really, up until that, though, you just got to be a little bit more concerted with the running game. I Situationally, I know. And this same thing happened last week, and he got praised for it to a certain extent. Same thing happened last week with the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that almost allowed him to get back into it. In clutch time, when and it's a little bit different situation because the Detroit Lions were down late, so they couldn't be running the ball. But when it's time to put the game away, the Detroit Lions were passing the ball basically every down when they've been one of the best running teams in the league the entire year. And I'm sounding like a curmudgeon, the old football guys are run, run the damn ball, put the put the ball in the running back's hands, but. It's what they've done all damn year. They've been a tough physical football team that scores a lot of points but doesn't on the back of the running game. And in the critical moments of the season, season on the line, you're in the third quarter, you're up three scores, you don't make a concerted effort to run the ball? It makes no sense to me. No sense to me whatsoever. Um, I think a lot of this loss uh, falls on... Ben Johnson, with the way he called this game, I think he became a little bit too predictable, relying too much on the passing game in the second half. You you let the San Francisco 49ers off the hook by passing as much as he did, kind of similar to how he did versus the, the Buccaneers the previous week. Um, I still think he's a top-level head coach in Canada, but this has got to be a learning moment for him. Like, hey, you can't get so caught up in, 
what your play sheet says, you know, just calling plays that you feel good about. Sometimes you have to look at the situation and be like, okay, we got to make a concerted effort to get the ball in the running back's hands. And I am not an offensive expert. Make no mistake about it. Obviously, I'm not a coach, never been hired as a coach, have basically no interest in coaching. So take my word for what it is, which is basically complete garbage. But at some point, you're going to have to get the ball into the, the playmaker's hands that got you there. And that's Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery. Jameer Gibbs in general, they really didn't run him on enough like outside zone uh, stuff that really expressed his speed. And in the first half, he had a really, really solid first half. In the second half, he just basically disappeared. The whole running game basically disappeared in the second half with you know the exception of a few big plays here and there. It was perplexing to me. It was, it was perplexing to me uh, what Ben Johnson decided to do uh, throughout the back part of this game. And for my money, it's why the San Francisco 49ers got back in this one and ultimately won it. All the credit in the world to the San Francisco 49ers, though, especially Brock Purdy. He is a stud. They have still got him under contract for uh, another year before they have to pay him. They got one more year left on this window. Hopefully they won't need it, you know, in the Super Bowl. So hopefully they win it this year and make it all worth it before they have to pay Brock Purdy like $50 million a year, which is what he will command. It's the market it's the market price for quarterbacks, folks. That's what he's going to get. Um, but until then, you got yourself a real opportunity to win some games here with a really favorable, really favorable salary structure for at least one more year after this one, where you can go all in and uh, continue to uh, just bolster the roster all around Brock Purdy. Um, the defense played out of their minds in the second half. Only seven points allowed. Uh, versus the Detroit Lions that were going up and down the field in the first half. A lot of credit has to be given to that defense. I mean, specifically, uh, guys like, I mean, Nick Bosa, two sacks, I think both in the second half, four QB hits in this one. He was all over the field. Chase Young even had some solid plays in this one, stopping the run, uh, had a tackle for loss in this game as well. I mean, really just a really solid defensive effort. Five tackles for loss on the game for this defense. Fred Warner, my God, 13 tackles in this game. Dre Greenlaw was killing people at times in this game. He flies around, uh, one of the best linebackers in the entire league. Uh, yeah, just a great all-around team performance in the second half from the San Francisco 49ers, and it's a championship performance, quite frankly. I mean, you look at what this running game did. Christian McCaffrey, two touchdowns in this game, three rushing touchdowns in this game for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, overall, it was just just utter dominance. No, no two ways about it. They absolutely came out here and gave it to the, the Detroit Lions in the second half. They showed that they had championship experience, and Lions simply showed that they didn't. Um, and now we're going to kind of see what Dan Campbell is made of here. I think it looks like they're going to keep Aaron Glenn for another year at defensive coordinator. That's huge, especially with a young defense that's kind of building up. They're probably going to make some more additions either through the draft or through free agency this year. Uh, I think that Detroit Lions defense is going to be a solid unit next year. Again, kind of depends on who they get in the draft and free agency, but they got the pieces there to be a really, really solid unit. They got an elite pass rusher to build around in Aiden Hutchinson. And uh, in addition to that, I mean, man, they have got. Uh, I mean, they got some really solid offensive weapons. Again, they. I think as a roster, the Detroit Lions, no doubt in my mind, are going to be a better team than what they put out there uh, this year. Now we're going to see what Dan Campbell can do in hiring a uh, a coordinator. As a big culture setter guy, you see, saw it with John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh has been so good for so long with Baltimore because he has been able to hire good coordinators again and again and again after they've been hired away by someone else. Um, we're going to see if Dan Campbell can do that. He 
nailed the hire of Ben Johnson initially when he took the job. Who is he going to promote there next? Is he going to promote within? Is he going to go from outside? Because they're not going to keep Ben Johnson. If they keep Ben Johnson, that will be probably the steal of the offseason uh, if he doesn't get a head coaching job uh, of one of these final two uh, openings. I would assume the commanders, but we'll see. Assuming that Ben Johnson leaves, though, what does Dan Campbell do uh, with that offensive coordinator position? It will be paramount if they want to make another championship run next year, especially with how good the NFC North is going to be. Packers are legit championship contenders. Uh, the Vikings, if Kirk Cousins didn't get hurt, probably in the playoffs this year. The Bears, my God, they're going to, I mean, read the tea leaves, if you will. They're going to draft Caleb Williams. Um, they're going to continue to bolster that roster because they have buku cap space. They're going to make some big free agent acquisitions. I would assume they're going to go hard on the offense because seemingly they fixed the defense pretty well this past offseason. So I think they're going to go hard as a motherfucker on offense, probably get a receiver or two, bolster the offensive line. They made a dynamite hire at offensive coordinator in Shane Waldron. I really, really like that hire uh, in spite of it being the, the Chicago Bears that made that hire. I don't think there's going to be a bad team in the NFC North next year. I think they're all really, really solid. And uh, Detroit, they're going to need a really good offensive coordinator to keep up because the margin of error is as slim as it has ever been in that division. I'm not sure that there's been a time in my memory anyway, really in my lifetime, that the uh, the NFC North is going to be as good as it will be this upcoming season. Again, Dan Campbell, what are you going to do this offseason? I think this is going to be very telling for what they're going to be able to do in the future. Also, what do they do, they do with Jared Goff at quarterback? A lot of questions going into this offseason. Um, we'll have to see how they answer them uh, going in there. Congrats to San Francisco on getting this this uh, this dub though. Going to the going to the, the Super Bowl, making me look like a damn genius with my prediction all the way back in May. My God, that was I mean to do the math almost nine months ago that I made that prediction. Holy shit, I'm smart. Don't look at anything else that happened in that episode. We'll revisit here. You'll you'll see how dumb I was. But uh, man, I am smart as hell with that prediction. My goodness. And uh, let's hope I'm super smart by predicting the right Super Bowl champion. Please God, San Francisco win this game, uh, and uh, make me look smart as hell. I don't know who I'm going to pick in that game. Uh, we're not going to preview that game until next week uh, because there's just there, there's no use in doing so two weeks out from the game. Uh, but that should be a Danny of a matchup. San Francisco 49ers versus Kansas City Chiefs. Um, which defense wins is ultimately going to um, win the game, I would say. That, that's the most preview I'm going to do right now. Um, if Kansas City locks down the San Francisco 49ers offense. I think there's a good chance the Kansas City Chiefs go out and win that game just by the sheer brilliance of Patrick Mahomes. If the San Francisco 49ers defense can go out there, put the clamps on the on the uh, Kansas City offense, I think there's a good chance that the San Francisco 49ers end up maybe pulling away. I don't know that this is going to be a very high-scoring Super Bowl, though. I think, uh, I think the over-under is like 47.5 right now. I think that number is going to drop. I think both these defenses are really solid. Um, I do, however, think that Isaiah Pacheco is going to have a big game against that San Francisco 49ers defense, but I don't want to get too too much into it. I think it's going to be a really good matchup in the Super Bowl. I am very much looking forward to uh, to watching this. Unsure if I'm going to make a bet or not. I, you know, wavered back and forth on maybe making my largest bet of the season on this game just for funsies, but I don't feel I don't feel super great either way. Maybe that'll change over the course of the next week or so, but. For right now, 
we're just going to let that simmer, see what happens over the next week or so, and then uh, then go from there. Uh, congrats to uh, the 49ers and the Chiefs, though, in the Super Bowl. And uh, it's going to be uh, a ratings bonanza for the NFL. I'm sure they're popping champagne at NFL headquarters with the way this whole thing turned out. With that said, though, there is your football games. What are we doing on time right now? Yeah, 43 minutes? Yeah, we might be able to get to this thing get this thing done in an hour 15 or so. Get you out of here in a, in a good amount of time. Let's go into some headlines, though. we got a couple things that happen. Pretty much all of them coaching-related. Every single uh, headline here, I believe, is, is coaching-related. At this point, some some on the college side, uh, some on the NFL side. Let's get to it, though. Uh, one uh, head coaching opening that has been filled. Dave Canales is going to be the new Panthers head coach. Good luck to you, Dave. That's a dumpster fire you're walking into there right now. You are handsome as hell, though, so couldn't, couldn't go too bad for you. Uh, you're going to need a lot of luck, though, Dave. Just, just know you're going to need a lot of luck. I think... Uh, for the betterment of uh, of Bryce Young, having the guy that made uh, made Baker Mayfield look really really good this year, not the worst thing in the world. Um, didn't quite do a whole lot of magic with the running game. I think a lot of that it has to do with uh, the deficiencies on the uh, the offensive line uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, though. So we'll we'll see how it works out there. I think conceptually it's the right direction to go into. You know, have a have a young offensive mind to kind of help. Uh, bring, you know, maybe salvage what you thought was there in Bryce Young. Maybe that offensive line will play a little bit better this year. Who's to say? Um, I don't know anything about the uh, the new GM that they got there other than he was a first-round pick in like 2001 for the Panthers. So hometown favorite, I don't know. You've still got that man, David Tepper, as your owner. So, yeah, again, good luck, Dave Canales. You're going to need every single bit of it in order to succeed in this one. Um, Vic Fangio wasted no time in making the uh, move to Philly official. Uh, he will be the defensive coordinator this coming season. That is a giant get for Nick Sirianni. He was supposed to be the defensive coordinator last offseason, and I assume Miami swooped in uh, with a big-time offer that old Vic Fangio could not refuse. This offseason wants to be closer to his family, though. Lines up perfectly uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and I think he can do a lot with what's there right now. The, the players are, I mean, they're older. They're not bad, though. Not bad at all. Um, just got to make some tweaks here and there. I think definitely investing in the linebacker core uh, would behoove the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles this offseason. Their linebackers were the weakest spot in the entire defense. Maybe look at some safety play a little bit. Um, you still got Darius Slay out there. He's not maybe the Darius Slay that he once was, but he's still really good. Um, you got some good pieces to work with, especially with Jalen Carter being the monster that he is. Jordan Davis filling space in the front, a stable of pass rushers to go back to. Um, Vic Fangio's got a whole lot to work with there. I think the might be a little bit of slow to start there for the for the Eagles, but I think by the end of the season they're going to be firing on all cylinders. It all just kind of comes down to what the offense does. And with that, let's get to the offensive coordinator hiring for the Philadelphia Eagles. They're hiring Kellen Moore former Chargers and Cowboys offensive coordinator to be their new offensive coordinator. We'll see if it works out slightly better this time. Uh, hopefully better than what it did with the Chargers. That offense looked disjointed at times this year. and Part of that is just a little bit of weakness on the offensive line. Because, I mean, you look at it, I mean, they got Rashawn Slater. They got Zion Johnson. Really not a very good offensive line outside of that. They didn't They didn't play well all year, essentially. Um 
and the, the receivers were basically just Keenan Allen and a bunch of dudes. What are the dudes' names? I don't know, like like Josh Palmer. Uh, Guyton didn't play most of the, the year, so he doesn't really count. Um, again, I have no idea who most of the receivers are for the uh, for the Chargers right now. Um, you got you got uh, Justin Herbert there though, and you probably expect a little bit more. Um, uh, a, a little bit more offensive production when you got Justin Herbert there in the offense, but the, the weapons around him weren't exactly great. You got an, an older Austin Eckler at this point behind a bad offensive line. Um, really no running game to speak of as a result. Might have been a little bit of the problem that he had with uh, with the Cowboys, which seems to be a running theme for Kellen Moore is he doesn't have the greatest uh, run game in the world. But coming into this new situation, having Jalen Hurts, uh, having the stable of backs that they always have, uh, losing Jason Kelsey is going to be huge. That's, that's going to be unfortunate for him. I still don't know if Jason Kelsey ever made that official, uh, if he ever made an announcement on, on the retirement, but I, I'm going to assume that Jason Kelsey retired until uh, told differently. I'm fairly certain he's retired at this point. That's going to be huge there. It might be a little bit of a detriment to the uh, the, the tush push that was working so well for him. Helps when you have an, a Hall of Fame center there to anchor that whole thing. But even without that, um, really solid offensive line all everywhere else. Um, again, a lot like Vic Fangio on the other side. Kellen Moore's got a lot to work with there. Um, just got to, you know, do a little bit better than what Brian Johnson did this year as the offensive coordinator there. You have to, have to, have to incorporate the quarterback in the running game in uh, more ways. And use the quarterback's legs better. Now, Kind of look back, incorporate some uh, some concepts that Shane Steichen used. Um, just getting getting Jalen Hurts' legs involved in the passing game even. Get him on rollouts. Uh, get him in situations where you're putting the defense in the bind, in a bind. Um, I, I've said it many times before, but if you can get Jalen Hurts on the edge with, you know, uh, an edge on one defender where he's not really a part of the, uh, the equation and just have it basically a read between a guy in coverage and another guy running with Jalen Hurts. Uh, basically, you can't go wrong at that point. Either Jalen Hurts runs or he dunks it over your head for a nice gain of 15, 20 yards, maybe even more if you get more after the catch. But, you know, concepts like that that get Jalen Hurts on the move uh, is going to be what make this, uh, this, this Eagles offense get back to prominence once again. Conceptually, I don't know about the hire. I, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I think Kellen Moore has been kind of lackluster in his last two years as offensive coordinator, uh, but we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of see. Um, I think he's got a lot of lot of weapons to work with in a way that he did not have with the Chargers, though. So, looking forward to seeing how it works out. All in all, you know, not not a bad uh, slate of hirings for Nick Sirianni. Again, this is going to be a make-or-break year for his job, though, so we're going to have to wait and see what happens in 2024. Conceptually, kind of like the hire, though. Kind of, kind of like both hires. Definitely like Fangio, leaning towards liking Kellen Moore, but that's the more questionable of the two, obviously. Um, another head coaching job getting filled. The Falcons have hired Raheem Morris to be their next head coach. Um, usually, I don't feel any type of way emotionally, one way or the other. It's like, okay, this happened. How does this affect the football side of things? Don't really give a hell about the emotions or anything like that. This one was different, man. I'm actually happy as hell that Raheem Morris is getting another chance, man. I mean, I he got he got the Tampa Bay job entirely too early. That I mean, there's there's no other way to describe. It. I think he was like 31, 32. It was a disaster in Tampa Bay. 
Nothing went right. His teams were terrible. Uh, didn't have great players down there either. It was just an entire mess. And unfairly, I think, that has followed Raheem Morris around ever since uh, up until this point where he got another opportunity. The fact that the Falcons gave him another opportunity, I, I hope for the best for Raheem Morris, man. I really am glad that he got this because he deserved it. He It probably should have happened a long, long time ago. He's been one of the best defensive coordinators in the league for a long time. Worked some real magic with that Rams defense uh, this past year with losing all but two starters in Ernest Jones and Aaron Donald. Uh, turned that into a really solid defense throughout the year. Uh, worked magic with what he had. Uh, seems like a really solid leader of men. No one's had anything bad to say about Raheem Morris in any of his stops after Tampa Bay. I am I am so happy for Raheem Morris for getting this opportunity, man. I think there's there's no one that's more deserving of getting another chance than Raheem Morris. I hope he knocks this thing out of the park. Another add a little wrinkle, though. Uh, Raheem Morris and GM Terry Fontenot will be reporting directly to Arthur Blank. That was not the case in the previous administration, and I think the one before that. Uh, I believe Dan Quinn and uh, Arthur Smith were reporting to uh, Falcon CEO Rich McKay uh, in those previous regimes. This time they'll be reporting directly to the owner, which don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Um, I think uh, Arthur Blank is a very respected owner. He's been the owner for, of the Falcons for a really long time. Usually an owner getting more hands on the football side of things is not good. Not a good thing. So we'll see how that all works out. I hope, I, I still, I really, really hope uh, that Raheem Morris knocks this thing out of the park. Uh, also, side note, I think a lot of people made this uh, this connection uh, once the Falcons went with Raheem Morris. Um, Bill Belichick's not going to get a head coaching job this cycle. Um, the Falcons were the only ones that were really in deep talks with Bill Belichick. And the word was um, Arthur Blank wanted to hire Bill Belichick, but there were people in the front office that knew that they would lose their jobs if Bill Belichick came in, so they kind of, you know, tanked the whole thing. All I know is that if the owner wants to hire a guy, he's going to hire a guy. So I'm not sure how how real the interest was the whole time. I think Arthur Blank was probably reticent about giving the, the keys to Bill Belichick uh, from the jump, I would say. Um I don't, I don't know. I don't think Bill Belichick, I don't know if Bill Belichick is going to get a job again. I mean, we'll see what comes up this next offseason. Maybe there's going to be someone else that's a little bit more um, inclined to hire him. Like say, hey, if Sirianni does another bad job this year, he gets fired. I mean, maybe, maybe the Eagles go with Bill Belichick under the understanding that Howie Roseman's still going to end up uh, controlling the personnel. That's an organization that is... Um, takes more off the coach's plate, let's say, than just about any other organization in the league. They're very front office focused. I think Howie Roseman is uh, maybe the most powerful GM in the entire league. They're very, very involved in the hiring process for coordinators in ways that a lot of organizations are not. They usually let the head coach do that whole thing. Um, uh, Howie Roseman and, and Jeffrey Lurie are all over that sort of thing. They're very controlling over that sort of thing. And they've to their credit, they've been very successful doing that. They've had multiple Super Bowl appearances, a Super Bowl championship doing that. Um, all that is to say, though, I don't think Bill Belichick's going to walk into that situation and be like, hey, I'm just going to give all this power over to them. We may have seen Bill Belichick coach his, coach his last game, folks. I don't think he's going to be the type of guy that uh, walks in and decides to do a defensive coordinator job. He's been a head coach for so long. I mean, 
going all the way back to the Cleveland Browns. He's, he's been a head coach for the last 30 years. You can't just go from being a head coach the last 30 years to just all of a sudden uh, accepting a coordinator role. That just doesn't seem like the way Bill Belichick's going to do this thing. Like I can see it with Mike Vrabel because he hasn't been a head coach in the grand scheme of things for all that long. Um, and he's on a young, he's a younger, so he's a little bit more adaptable. Uh, Bill Belichick's being in his seventies. I don't think he wants to come to an organization for anything less than a a head coaching spot, quite frankly. And um, I think he's going to be waiting for quite a while now. I don't know if he's, he's definitely not going to get a head coaching job this off season. I don't know if he's going to get one next season or the season after that. Again, we might have seen Bill Belichick coach his last football game, which would be brutal. Him being, I think, fourteen wins. Uh, short of the all-time record in uh, in in Walsh as well. No, Tom Landry. Tom Landry was the. Uh, wait, hold on. Underwent surgery to repair his torn ACL. How did? How how did T.J. Hawkinson just undergo surgery for his ACL? He he injured it in the last week of the season. Was the swelling really that bad? Fuck you, Kirby Joseph. That's that's the that's the moral of this story. Go to hell, Kirby Joseph, you dirty son of a bitch. You, we're not going to have TJ Hawkinson for like half the season next year. My God. My God. Either way, though, interesting stuff, man. I, I hope we see Bill Belichick again. I, I don't feel very uh, confident that that is the case, though. Uh, also, Falcons did not waste any time. They hired uh, Rams passing game coordinator Zach Robinson as their new offensive coordinator. It was a hell of a day for Zach Robinson. I think at like... Earlier in the day, uh, he had the birth of his first child, and then like minutes later, he accepted the offensive coordinator job with the Atlanta Falcons. You get a pay raise, you get your first child. That's one of the, that's maybe the best day of your entire life, right there. I'm not sure it can get any better than that, other than uh, having another child. And then that same day, getting a head coaching job, which may happen down the road, depending on how well he does uh, with the Falcons this upcoming year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Zach Robinson, an offensive coordinator. I mean. Rams passing game has been good, so could work out like Bobby Slowick with uh, uh, with uh, with the Texans this past year. They are going to be in the market for a new quarterback, so hey, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, Michigan made the expected official on Friday night. They will not be going outside the organization uh, for their head coach. Uh, they are elevating Sharon Moore as their next head coach. I truly, I mean truly have no idea how this was going to go. Um, or how this is going to go over the next two, three years or so, however long they stick around with, with Sharon Moore. I I guess I hope he does well. I don't hope badly for the guy. Again, this is like most head coaching hirings. I don't feel any type of way emotionally about this. This is what they had to do, though. I think you look at Alabama and what happened when Nick Saban retires and they hire from outside of the organization. Uh, you saw the exodus of, of big-time players out of Alabama. Uh, that didn't want to stick around for a rebuild. Uh, the the deluge of players that entered the transfer portal because Nick Saban was no longer the head coach and you hired a new guy to come in that they do not know. It's one thing to do that at Alabama because you can just reload at Alabama. They're a different caliber of organization. They're a different caliber of program uh, than the, I mean, Michigan, all respect to them, they just won the national championship. They know they're not Alabama. They can't reload like Alabama can. If they were to go from outside of the program, bring in like a like a Lane Kiffin or someone like that, you know, some some name like that, where it would be a good hire conceptually, but it's a new guy, a new face, a new culture coming in there. You have a deluge of players into the transfer portal at that point once again. 
I don't think Michigan can sustain that because I don't think they can reload. They're not reloading in in recruiting. They they're not a top recruiter. That's just flat out what it is. They're not a top ten recruiter. Um, they're a top twenty recruiter generally. They're always right around there in the twenty. But they're a developmental program. They bring guys in. They bring guys in that fit what they want to do, and then develop their skill set into being eventually a lot of pro prospects. Uh, playing the type of football they want to play. That's why they've been great over the last couple of years because they've been really good at developing players like that. They're not a team that's going to come out here, get top five players, killed in the transfer portal, uh, you know, wheeling and dealing, all that sort of stuff. They're, they're a culture-building program. They could not sustain the losses that Alabama did this year. So hiring Sharon Moore was essentially the only option on the table at this point. Um I was frankly not very impressed with what Sharon Moore did uh, down the stretch of this year in his opportunities as the um, the game day head coach. He wasn't really an interim head coach because he wasn't uh, leading the practices. Jim Harbaugh was still doing everything uh, short of going on the sidelines on game day. But on game day, I thought Sharon Moore was, I mean, even with how conservative Jim Harbaugh was at times, I thought Sharon Moore was ultra conservative. Uh, to uh, a fault sometimes. I mean, it didn't end up biting them in the ass. They, they beat Penn State. They beat Ohio State down the stretch. They beat Maryland. Excuse me, all that sort of stuff. But I wasn't ultra impressed with the uh, the decision-making. I thought he was ultra conservative at times. Um, and I don't know how it's going to work out at the next level. I think there's a chance that, especially with it seems like Jesse Minter's on the way out the door as a defensive coordinator, which we'll get to here in just a second. I don't know who he's going to hire at the defensive side of the ball. Will he continue to call plays on offense? Um, what is this program going to look like? There's a lot of turnover personnel-wise. I think Michigan's in, in line to take a step back at least for one year. And then after that, who knows? It all kind of depends on how good Sharon Moore and his staff are at recruiting, developing, all that sort of stuff. Um Again, I have no idea how this thing is going to work out. I'm fully open to the possibility that Sharon Moore is going to kill it with Michigan. That's far from a given, though. Far, far from a given. Enjoy this national championship while you got it. That's, that's my advice to the Michigan fans. And enjoy the national championship because I think you got some tough times ahead, uh, especially in this coming year. All right. What next? What next? Ah, Bears hired, assi- hired Bill's assistant head coach and D-line coach Eric Washington as their new defensive coordinator, uh, Matt Eberflus had been the de facto defensive coordinator since September uh, when Alan Williams resigned under strange circumstances, inappropriate behavior. We'll never get an answer on that. No idea besides the points. Uh, they have a new defensive coordinator in there, though, and I know absolutely nothing about him. Um, Bills did some good things with, uh, with you know lesser talent this year. Wasn't exactly super impressed with the defensive line, but we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I think Matt Eberflus is done it, doing a hell of a job with the um, the defense over there for the Bears. So yeah, again, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, good to good to see uh, an assistant coach get a uh, opportunity at a, at a play calling gig. Um, Patriots are promoting defensive line coach Demarcus Covington to DC. Covington is only thirty four. Uh, was a rising star in the interview circuit. Uh, one of those guys that was going to get hired at some point as someone's defensive coordinator. Gerard Mayo is like, why not be our defensive coordinator? So he will be the defensive coordinator. Now the intriguing question is, who will Gerard Mayo uh, use to fill out his offensive staff? Uh, the interviews thus far have been mainly from the Shanahan coaching tree. So I think that's pretty much what we're going to be looking at there. 
Um, just kind of Shanahan zone running scheme uh, sort of things. Uh, I don't know. Defensive head coaches don't have a great track record with hiring offensive uh, offensive um, coordinators. Jesus Christ! I don't know why. I, I don't know why I couldn't get that that uh, the word in my head. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, it seems like they're you know doing all right on the defensive side. I think they won't drop off a whole lot on that side of the ball. Um, and I, I like Gerard Mayo as a leader of men, so I think he's going to be a really good culture setter. It's going to be much different from what Bill Belichick did. Um, I think he's not going to follow in the footsteps of a lot of former Patriots uh, coaching tree disciples or Bill Belichick coaching tree disciples in just hardcore Patriot way all the time, just being a dickhead. Um, I think he's going to be a lot more personable. I think he's going to be a lot more just, you know, uh, interpersonal with his players a lot more, a lot more relationship building than what uh, Bill Belichick did. But I, I like Gerard Mayo. I like the hire, quite frankly. I mean, there is a reason that there was the succession plan put in place in his contract in the previous extension that he signed with the New England Patriots. I'm interested to see how that works out. Um, all kind of hinges on what they do at the offensive side of the ball, so, though. So probably going to have news on that next week if I had to imagine. Knowing my luck, that news will drop as I'm recording this episode. Um, and yeah, back to the Jesse Minter of it all. It appears Jim Harbaugh will be bringing Jesse Minter with him from Michigan to become the defensive coordinator of the Chargers. Um, probably just all comes down to negotiations at this point. Um, I would be shocked if Jesse Minter wasn't the defensive coordinator uh, for the Chargers this next season. I am really excited to see uh, how Minter's defense works at the NFL level. He clearly belongs in the league. I mean, clearly. I mean, just go back, and it sticks in my mind so vividly, like the C.J. Stroud performance uh, against uh, Georgia in last year's playoffs. That Jesse Minter performance versus that Alabama offense in the Rose Bowl, he he outclassed Tommy Reese and Jalen Milrow and everyone that Alabama offense all damn day. And it wasn't just the, the players being more physical on the Michigan side of things, which they were. It was Jesse Minter being head and shoulders better at scheming up a defense than what Tommy Reese could do on the offensive side of the ball. Clearly, he was the superior coordinator in that game, and it showed again in the championship game. Jesse Minter is an NFL defensive coordinator. Make no mistake about it. I am really, really excited to see what he does at the NFL level, assuming that they finalize this thing and he's officially um, brought in as the defensive coordinator. I have all the faith in the world in Jim Harbaugh to, uh, to get that thing done. Um, gonna have to do so with, uh, with, uh, not the greatest personnel in the world. Um, give a lot of shit to Brandon Staley for being the quote unquote defensive genius that can never have a top 20 defense. Didn't have a whole lot to work with on that side. Tom Telesco wasn't, uh, wasn't doing too hot on, uh, bringing defensive players in either through the draft or free agency, not a high hit rate over the last couple of years. So got his work cut out for him. They got a new GM in there, which we'll get to here in just a second. But uh, I am I'm fascinated, absolutely fascinated with how uh, Jesse Minter is going to do at the NFL level. Uh, also, Harbaugh will be bringing the strength and conditioning coach Ben Herbert with him uh, from Michigan. I don't know anything about strength and conditioning. Basically, everyone has said this is a huge loss for Michigan, though. Um, I think it's good to have uh, a mix of guys that you know coming in. Don't want to rely too heavily on the, uh, the the college coaching staff, if you will, because it is a vastly different game uh, from college to the NFL. Um, but hey, seems to be a good guy to bring in there, Ben Herbert. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, also, the hot, the 
Chargers are targeting Ravens director of player personnel, Joe Hortiz. Hortiz? I have no idea how you pronounce his name. I think it's Hortiz. Hortiz? I don't know. Either way, they're targeting him to be the next GM for them. Um, you look at what the Ravens have done over the last couple of years uh, with bringing in players, especially this last offseason. Wouldn't be a bad pickup, especially when you got a whole lot of needs on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, he has done some wizardry with picking up players on that side of, well, he wasn't the one doing it, but oversaw the operation of picking up players on that side of the ball. So I think it would be a good pickup for him at at, uh, at, um, at GM. Uh, the, the sibling rivalry grows, though, between John and Jim Harbaugh. I hope to God that they meet up against each other at some point next season. or Any season that he's with the Chargers, Jim Harbaugh. Because uh, just, it's just good fun when those two meet up with each other. Uh, the Bills, they stripped the interim tag off of Joe Brady. Made him the full-time offensive coordinator. I like this. I, I like this hire. Uh, promotion, I guess you could call it. I thought really... Really, from the first week that Joe Brady took over as the offensive coordinator, the offense just flowed better. Ken Dorsey's offense was great statistically. They had a lot of really big plays. Uh, the the Statsners loved them because they were like top top of the league in a lot of different categories, but it was clunky at times. Uh, had some bad three and outs when he really couldn't afford to have them. Um, I think overall, this is a, this is a good hire. This is a good hire by the by the Bills. When Joe Brady came in, you saw the running game working better. You saw the passing game flowing better. Uh, Stephon Diggs wasn't a big part of the passing game, which we'll see how that works out. They need assets in the draft department. Um, so I could definitely see them moving on from Stephon Diggs this offseason, especially with that giant uh, giant salary cap hits that he's going to end up taking. Um Yeah, I don't know. Jim Jimmy Lake is the defensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. I don't I don't know. Cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Good good for them. Sorry, I just got distracted by news on my phone there for a second. Um Yeah, I like I like hiring Joe Brady as the full time offensive coordinator. We'll see how it goes from there. If they if he continues to do well, he is obviously gonna be a hot name coming up for uh from NFL um head coaching jobs, which was kind of the way he was trending meteoric rise when he had Joe Burrow at LSU and that crazy, crazy good offense back there in 2019, uh, 2020, um, kind of fell off a little bit when he made a bad career decision to go over with, uh, with Matt rule over there in that dumpster fire of an organization with the Panthers, but has bounced back. Well, ended up, you know, paying his dues in the NFL, getting that offensive coordinator job with the bills, I think he's going to be doing good going forward. I, I like the future of Joe Brady in the NFL. I think the Bills made a good hire, good decision to keep Joe Brady as the full-time offensive coordinator. And finally, Iowa, after lo at long last, everyone else has made their hires long ago. At long last, Iowa has hired an offensive coordinator. They are bringing in Packers analyst uh, Tim Lester as their new offensive coordinator. He was set to take the offensive coordinator job at Troy. Let's see how it works out. Obviously, if you look at what the Packers do, they are huge into the running game. Uh, Matt LaFleur can scheme the hell out of a running game about just about as good as anyone in the NFL right now. Good passing concepts, a lot of motion to work with. Uh, certainly different than what you're getting from Brian Ferentz. It can't get a whole lot worse, right? We'll see how it works out. He wasn't exactly a star when he was with Western Michigan on uh, on offense. Um, 
Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Iowa's finally got an offensive coordinator, though, so maybe they'll bring a, a slightly more modern pro style of offense uh, over there to uh, to Iowa City. With that, though, uh, well, let's see. Hour and 11 minutes. We made good time there. Thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. That's it, by the way. That That's all the... Uh, that's all the headlines I had. That's that's everything I had to say. So uh, good riddance. See y'all later. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed, subscribe wherever you're listening to it. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon. Even if you're if you're feeling frisky, go on over there. Hit that subscribe button and uh, move on your merry way. Uh, if you want to follow me, go on to uh, the link in the description. You know, follow me on Twitter. I'm not really active anywhere else because I'm bad at social media. It is what it is. Hardly even really active on Twitter, if we're being honest right now. But, uh, yep, that's that's where you can find me. If you want to contact the show, either shoot me a DM on Twitter, which will probably be the fastest way to get to me, or go to the email unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. As always, I've got... No clue what I am talking about. Uh, however, one thing I learned this week, and this is a legit one. I learned this one this week, and it's football-related this time. In Cal's debut football season in the ACC, they will travel, get this, over 24,000 miles for road games. The circumference of the Earth is 24,901. So they will be flying all around the world, essentially. The whole circumference of the Earth uh, just to play in the Atlantic Coast Conference uh, while they are within spitting dif- distance of the Pacific Ocean. Congratulations to the decision makers in college football for, or really just college sports in general, for being so good at their jobs and being so concerned about the student athletes. So with that, thank you all so much for tuning in. I will see you all next Tuesday. Deuces.